Swillians, if you love and respect your surfboards, and I'm talking pure love, then you must protect them. And nobody protects surfboards better than the official hardware and accessories partner of all Swillians, Ocean and Earth. Doesn't matter what you kick, shorties, fishes, logs, sups, O&E have over 30 different types of board covers to keep your precious protected. Day sleeves, travel covers, singles, doubles, coffins, wheels. These board bags are light, functional, and built to last. It's good enough for Owen Wright. It's good enough for Ryan Callanan. It's good enough for Tyler Wright. You know it's primo gear. And it's one of those presents you just never see coming. Imagine getting an O&E board bag in your Chrissy windsock. Mad. Go to oceanandearth.com to scope the whole range today. Ain't That Swell presents Crawlords. Today's guest is me old mate, Nick Colby, an ultra-talented surfer, filmmaker and musician born and bred in Byron Bay. He's a well-known figure in this kind of surfing underground slash media realm. He's produced at least three feature films, all of which are worth a watch and bring to the screen this super watchable, wonky, classically Australian ambience. Go track them down. They're Wonderlust, Huru, and Turu. When I say he's the talented surfer, I mean like proper. Competed on the Junior Series, had a couple of sponsorships back in the day, and retains an elite technical brilliance when it's big and coning. He's also red hot on the rhythm guitar, playing with Borneo, a kind of Devo-inspired outfit that was doing the rounds of Sydney when we met, and now we solo project Colby, which we're going to hear a couple of tracks from today. Ringo Flameballs, a.k.a. Nick Colby. Welcome to Ain't That Swell, mate. Thank you very much, Black Gum. Thanks for having me, Australians. <laughs> had a good morning uh, surfing one of the local break walls down here, a bean, a Wardell pie, and uh, yeah, now sitting down to chart over your life and times. Uh, you just launched your new album, I understand. I did, yeah. Um, so I've been doing a bit of music with different uh, a, a band in Sydney called Borneo back in the day as you'd know, and um, then I did a trip around Australia and ended up back home here in, in Byron, or now I'm in Bangalore, Okay, used to be called Bangahole, but now it's pretty high end, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, did my own album um, under my last name, Colby, and it's called Journeyman, so that's been pretty fun. Yeah, I'll play a couple of tracks from it during the episode, and uh, yeah, you did it old school at the Broken Head Hall. How was the night? Yeah, that was epic. Um, Bruce, the the hall taker, was kind enough to put a gig on after the last one. Um, got a bit drunk and debaucherous, so what a lord. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, it's good to have like a community sort of um, event just out of town, I guess. That, that's the best thing about the halls, isn't it? Like they just have such a good vibe with um, – they bring all the old crusty demons out of the woodwork and um, it was epic. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Journeyman, the album, it's actually got my panel van on the cover. Uh, 
well played. But uh, yeah, really nice, stripped back, kind of Aussie folk stylings. Um, yeah, talk us through some of the influences on this album. Um, yeah, I guess it was sort of just, you know, um, memories and experiences from living in the Northern Rivers. I guess that was sort of a thing where, I don't know, it just sort of helps when you have like that experience from home and you just sort of want to write about what was around you in that way. Um, and some of it's about, you know, friends that have passed away and yeah, just all different sort of experiences from this area. Um, one's called Mini Water, which is a place down the coast. And we just sort of, that was where we went camping like when we were young, just go down there and I just remember heaps of Christmases down there and I don't know, it's just sort of that almost influenced off um, the environment around here, which is actually, as you know, pretty, pretty, pretty. <laughs> but yeah. And um, the title Journeyman is actually from the lyric. There's a song called In the Dying Night and it's about um, a friend that passed away when we were um, pretty young, I think like maybe 17, 18, um, named Evo and he... He passed away traveling in Europe and there's a there's a lyric off that um, calling him a journeyman. So that's where the title came from. Mm. So, yeah. And musically, like who are you uh, kind of looking to for, for inspiration in, in this vein? What can we expect to hear little dribs and drabs of in there? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I seem to sort of, I, I like JJ Cale and Mason Jennings and that kind of that kind of thing but it's funny like you write you write like a album of music and then people think oh that's just like what he likes or what they must get into but then it's just like you gotta love all sorts of shit right like that's the best thing about music is that there's you know there's a genre for any type of um feeling that's going on inside you little meat core <laughs> and if you if you're playing for a surf i'm not going to be listening to my music that's for sure <laughs> but yeah it's definitely it's definitely in that cruisy of all i think that just comes from playing by yourself too you don't you can't really picture like you can try and write a punk song by yourself but it's way harder than if you got a bunch of mates in a shed smashing it out over a couple of toys you can't really do that so mm. that it's sort of is um the influence is sort of yeah just playing by yourself and then that comes out pretty cruisy i guess mm. Yeah, because you've played all sorts. You've played in punk bands. Uh, your previous band, Borneo, is like a I don't know, super eclectic, like high-energy live show and super fun, like uh, very different to this, this kind of music. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was good fun. Um, that's actually where I met you, I guess, in those, those times in Sydney. And um, yeah, that, that, that was definitely, if you listen to some of that music, you can see we really frothed on like Devo midnight oil that sort of 80s um alternative punk in a way and um that's where that came from because timmy the head kind of dude that was leading it all he was really into that style at the time so yeah it's funny how you get around different people and start making different tunes but yeah that was a good time borneo <laughs> yeah and you actually uh i remember in one of the video clips you had john howard in one of them Oh, that's right. We what was the story there? We f- little we were, Johnny, uh, little jo- <laughs> Johnny's little battlers. Fuck you, Johnny. You <laughs> fucking dog. Hope you get the lot, you mutt. 
little Johnny Rotten. That little swine was going through, um, what's that main part of Sydney in the middle? Like um, Martin Place, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, Martin Place. He was just probably ratting from one spot to the other to rip someone off. And um, Timmy saw him, like, there's Johnny Howard. And we just kind of like got around him. Oh, can you get in there? And he's like, one photo, one photo. And yeah, up in the video, it's pretty classic. You mutt. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a listen to Colby's new album now, titled Journeyman, featuring my very own money pit of a panel van on the cover. Take a listen over on Spotify. This track is Broken Head.
and so music's been a lifelong passion for you. Um, you know, talk to us about your relationship with music, I guess, when it started for you and, uh, yeah, just the, the journey so far. Yeah, I guess um, hmm, that's a good one. I think um, I got a guitar for my 10th oh, for Christmas when I was about 10 across the road from the Donnies, from their stepdad, Michael Gooley. We bought a guitar off him and um, I've had guitars ever since then. And um, yeah, I guess the biggest thing was I remember just probably through surf movies and that thing when you're young and it's, you know, as a lot of us can relate to those old days before you just get copying Instagram and different songs and shit. It was like about albums or the videos and just, yeah, copying the soundtracks that sort of shaped your life in a weird way. Like. How funny is that to think about that, you know, you spent pretty much every day I watched Loose Change or um, Hit and Run or, you know, some of those old videos and that sort of like shapes your music identity in a, in a weird way, which is kind of tripped out. So that was definitely a big thing was surf films. But I remember when we were young, um, we used to have like a – we didn't have a TV in the main room. We just had like this old school stereo. It had these like, this like four deck tape thing. And um, we had the, they used to come in like those plastic sleeves with like all the tapes and shit. And we had the soundtrack to um, Forrest Gump. And that thing was mental. It had all the classics like, yeah, all that era of Credence and Bob Dylan and like, yeah, the birds. And like, it just had such amazing songs um so that that's that's the most early memory of really sort of loving music and i remember the first time hearing that fortunate son off um creedence clearwater just hearing that on the tape blasting through our house i was like this is the ultimate <laughs> this is like i don't know you can only really compare taking drugs to that feeling of being a grommy and feeling that wave of like a, a sound that someone has made that makes you feel that kind of like you know hair stand at the back of your neck that's when i was sort of like wow this is this is for me <laughs> such a good point yeah the ability of music to change your mood and alter your state is it's it's underrated like uh and, and as a kid you're really cognizant of that as an adult probably less so but it's still there affecting you in the same way that it did as a kid there's just so much more noise and shit that's been laid on top of your central nervous system but those first few bars of whatever iconic music you first hear as a kid is so powerful and i think everyone probably remembers who that band was for me it was bob marley and, and the same thing like just completely surreal like uh, you know, Buffalo Soldier as, as a little kid on a tape deck, just going like, and I, I would ask my mum always to play it as I was going to sleep. I used to say it was like, I used to say it was oh, play, uh, play Bob Marley on a horse or something. I used to think that <laughs> he was riding a horse in that song or something. But yeah, that music was, was so powerful and, and completely alien at that age. Mm, yeah, it's so true. I remember you telling me about also um, how you, you guys used to listen to The, the Cruel Sea. And um, even, yeah, even bands like that, like 
that 90s, noughties, like Australian rock, where it's just like, what the fuck is this alien music to, I don't know, it's just like such incredible. And even hearing people say, like, that's what we grew up to, like listening to, you can kind of like picture them as a Grommy and their family and what they were about, you know what I mean? It's a weird thing where it's like, it fully shapes your identity without even thinking about it. Mm. Like, yeah, like if your dad's getting you into punk music, something was going on when he was 20. Like he would have been a full, just frother punk rocker or something like that. Or Bob Marley, obviously a couple of joints. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, it's really, it's, it's such an important part that we, and that's what, I think that's really cool about, there's a bit of a resurgence these days in, like at the moment with like live music um, in terms of like, I mean, it's not a resurgence, but like say even like your shows that you guys are doing, like the live pod- potties and like the swellness events and also like the, um, all the surf films that are coming out at the moment that are, they're touring them live. Like you see all those shred lords like just doing these mental films, but they're actually going and playing it at Anita's, Anita's Theatre or like... Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, it's like that shit is, it's going to, you know, all this like online shit, you're just so swamped with like some dudes doing the craziest shit and then it's just like gone from your from your brain, mm. like surf-wise or music-wise. But that tangible thing of fucking going to a place and copping that experience together, you can't replay it, but it's just that feeling something so present about being at a surf film or at a concert that's actually bullshit and not just like this full, you know, pre-explain to click tracks on like a Triple J festival scenario. Mm. It's like mm. something that's more raw and that's what's so sick about, yeah, live shit. It's such a good point, man. Like uh, that's our culture, you know, and we're sharing it in such a, a real way as it's been done for hundreds of years uh, in these little fucked up pubs and and local town halls and uh it's all it needs to be timber floor and some timber walls and uh you know we'll bring the the art and uh a few beers and then like yeah they're these really uh, i've noticed that like seeing a couple of noah's films at um bangers pub and uh your pocky boys doing that one at the northern and you know just this kind of huge community gathering it's so uplifting man you know it's like and you, you're celebrating this culture that you've cr- produced, you know, like, yeah, we're not in those surf films or we're not in that band on stage, but we helped create it. Like just by surfing or by playing music or by supporting music, we're helping push that culture and it, we're a part of that culture. That's what culture is. It's just a whole lot of fucking germs rooting each other and <laughs> creating this, uh, kombucha. Yeah. <laughs> creating some kombucha, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's so it's so true though. Like, you think, oh fuck, like, because everything's real expensive right now. Like, as everyone knows, it's fucking two dollars twenty to go anywhere with your diesel car. Mm. And um, no one, oh, can I go get two beers? Oh yeah, that'd be twenty four dollars. Some pricks just been like shoveling some dirt for an hour. He can't even afford two beers and a sausage roll. It's like, what the fuck's going on with that? Mm. But those things, if people put on community events, you know. Go spend 10 or 15 bucks because the reward you get back that not just for you but for your community and for that person, for the artist, is like tenfold 
the two skewies and a sausage roll. Mm, mm. It's a worthy investment, even though it's just, yeah, sometimes you think, oh, fuck, why am I writing music and stuff? Like, it takes a lot of effort to actually put on a gig, right? Or even do this podcast or something. It actually takes a lot more behind the scenes to do it. And sometimes people question why they should be paying for it even. Mm. But every time there's a sick community event, people, everyone walks away pretty satisfied compared to like, I don't know, some sort of corpo thing that we support. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I've really been thinking about a lot lately in this kind of post-COVID era that we're in where we've got this resurgent live music and arts kind of scene is just how good Australian music and surfing and art is like uh in the last few months I've been to so many events I think everyone has you know that that's obviously after being locked down for so long um everyone's just out and about and and just drinking in the the culture and entertainment and I've got such a renewed uh, passion for it or appreciation is probably the better word you know you took that shit for granted for so long and mm. now to be back in amongst it's amazing but also just the the quality uh of australian artists and also the respect that australian artists have for the people in the crowd no matter how big they are like mm. uh, i was just down there at the the rolling sets and, and let the good times roll festival in, on the sunny coast at the entrance you know the sunny coast is this um bit of a it's traditionally a bit of a backwater pretty lower socioeconomic you can still see the the effects of that very much so now it's j- kind of just in the very early stages of gentrification but um you know culturally like they're only just beginning to kind of really get um festivals and bring all these big bands in and uh, to see bands as big as Grinspoon um you know calm down headline this show uh, give so much love and respect, acknowledge all the, the gigs that they've played there in that area over the years at Long Jetty, at Central Leagues, uh, Central Coast Leagues Club or whatever, and, and fully just give so much respect and admiration to the Australian public like that. Fuck, man, it's such a powerful thing to be a part of, and it, it's such a, a great like uh, metric of this country's respect for the working class, the respect for the punter, paying his money, coming and supporting the art and, and the artist also just really acknowledging that. It's mm. fucking powerful, man. It's a mad thing to be a part of. And it's funny when you, you get kind of touring bands from overseas coming through, for whatever reason, I guess culturally they're different to us and, and maybe they don't really understand what, maybe we have false expectations because of what we get from our own bands, this kind of um, deep mutual appreciation. And they don't, the ones I've seen lately haven't had that mutual appreciation and respect for the public. They also haven't been that fucking good. Like, and I'm just like, wow, like watching Grinspoon, Bad Dreams, uh, Cat Empire, th- this festival the other day, you know, none of these three bands are bands I would uh, say I really grew up kind of listening to or liking that music. But if you like music, they are fucking undeniably good. They are mm. killing it. Mm. And the way they conducted themselves is just second to none and it's made me really fall in love with the culture here and people say like oh you know australia doesn't have culture or like you know what is the culture there it's me go and fucking watch grinspoon or bad dreams play a live gig um or the cat empire uh and tell me we don't have culture you know go to any of these festivals go to any sporting event go to any of these little 
town hall, uh, pub, fucking film screenings or, 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 or folk gigs like your own and tell me this joint doesn't have culture, you're fucking in it. Yeah, it's not like culture written in some creed like Europe, but it's, um, mm. it, it's living and breathing and when you're in it, you fucking know it. Mm. Yeah, it's such a good point. And I think the thing too is like as these other, like these huge bands, they get older and older they sort of go through like these rock star eras of like, like they're playing these huge festivals, these massive big day outs and shit. And if they want to maintain like a career still doing what they love, I feel like a lot of them would get burnt out. And then they sort of realise you need to bring it back to the core followers that just fully love your music. Like I think Grinspoon quit for a bit and then they've sort of come back like another resurgence. You know, who knows why, like financially or the love for it, but... When you give like your audience the respect that they're giving you, then it's it just makes for such a better um, like give and receive sort of performance. You know what I mean? Whereas some rev comes, you know, yeah, like fresh off the plane from Europe and doesn't give a shit about who's playing to. They just think that they're ripping. Then it doesn't really transcend here. People are just they don't really they don't really vibe it as much because it's not. That is in our culture to sort of like show respect and get respect back. And that's some of those bands like, and that whole cultural thing too. Like I trip out when people say that because they're just always comparing themselves to like the stand up European culture or the American culture. Like you got to tap into the oldest culture in the world, which is here in our backyard as well. Mm. And that's also affecting the arts and the music, right? Like it's like, my youngest brother, um, he's still, and like he fully got into his hardcore and got into all sorts of genres and stuff, but he still says to this day the best band he ever saw was at the Blues Fest at the Red Devils Park, Yotha Yindi. Bro, I was there. Were you there? <laughs> yeah. I was fucking, that was the first, the first gig I ever saw. It was pissing down with rain. Yeah. Me and my mum rounded the band and there was this, you know, the big circus tent there. And uh, like the red and white tent, these are like my memories. They could be bodgy and off. That happened a long time ago. Yeah. And I just remember the rain and then going into this tent and they're just being fucking electricity, lightning bolts coming off the stage. Like that's kind of what I remember is just color and dancing and all these people lit up on stage. It's a big band, Yothi Indy. And like, I don't remember the songs or, or the music so much as mm. just, it was like a fireball of energy mm. coming down at us and just being like this 15 year old Grom going, what the fuck <laughs> is this? Like mind blowing. Mm. I don't know where I was at that festival. I was probably at some weird, like John Mayer or something tripped out, just so <laughs> off it. Cause they came out of that gig and that's my mate Ben who, who passed away. Like, um, and yeah, big ups to the Donahoes if you're listening, but, um, to, for them to have that experience and like for him to say how like incredible that was, that's, that's Australian culture right there. Like a band like that, Yotha Yindi, it's just like, holy shit, that's something you want to cop. Even watching some of the old video videos of that, it's like white and black culture together mm. with this force and like a, a message, but also just, um, like having fun like just like you said like an electric electrical like vibe it's just that's australian music for you 100 percent, man and you're about to go on tour with the spawn of yothi indy our man roy uh <laughs> and uh tour around with his band um king stingray who are 
yeah, you know, there's descendants of Yothi Indie and the Wurumpi band in that band. And, mate, they are on the precipice of fucking, like, rock and roll immortality in this country. Uh, if they stay on the trajectory they're on, they're fucking that good. Like, it's a mind-melting band. Um, and, mate, talk us through it. You, are you nervous? Are you excited? Like, that, that's a huge call-up. Uh, but w- what an exciting thing. And, and, and Roy's such a dude. Like, it must be so good to have a guy like him there supporting you uh, you know he, we had him on the podcast um hasn't come out yet but he was super complimentary about your music and um so yeah man he's such a lord roy and um the whole band is like you said it's something that um it's definitely spawned from that yothi indie era and even just the way that they conduct themselves is very they stop and listen to you they sort of very respectful um and they just sort of go about it in those old school kind of ways. And that's really, that's really like a special thing too. Like the way in which they conduct themselves, that's pretty amazing. You know what I mean? Like you do get a lot of revs in the music industry and they're just sort of not that because they, they come from like a, they spend a lot of time up in Gove. They've, they've, they've lived that other world that's away from the almost capitalist version of Australia. I feel like that transcends in into what they do and how they how they um, go about their day to day business. But yeah, yeah, Roy is just super supportive of my music, so I got to thank him. Um, and yeah, I'm just doing like one show with them down in Sydney um, for the Southern Night Great Southern Nights thing. I think they put on. So yeah, that's going to be I think March the 11th. Um, and like. You know, I'll probably play my set and just get straight into the audience and watch it because that's where it should be. Just watching them live, it's such a force and it's like, um, it's it's as close, I think, you'd get to as the way that the Colonels talk about the 80s mm. and the Midnight Oils and, you know, like the Wurrumpi bands and shit, like some of those gigs that they talk about or they've, they've written down about, like in Peter Garrett's book about the sweat dripping off the ceiling and shit and like, that full raw feeling like Roy was telling me the other day that cause he do, they do a lot of festivals and stuff and they're an amazing band and you know, people naturally go towards like a click track or a backing track where everything sounds perfect and it's really good. And they're just plugging in like without click tracks and backing tracks going, Oh, what's this all about? And they just like, they're one of the few bands at the moment in the Aussie music scene that are still playing super raw and just like let's let's give it hell which is pretty special like mate that's the magic of what they do they 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 have to keep doing it like that because that that click track polish that super refined sound is 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 not what this country's music is about and it's pop and it's it it doesn't really wash with, with people over a certain age whereas King Stingray already hitting that kind of timeless bracket and uh mate we're on the cusp like we're we're right there in terms of um you know renewing or like uh yeah reinvigorating that kind of 80s pub rock scene which i think was the golden age of australian music we've pretty we're we're living it again in a sense you got literally the the children of these bands in in king stingray and, and nephews and uh then you got you know Bad dreams like this classic, greedy Australian rock and roll outfit, Grinspoon, the, the godfathers of 
the genre you know i see phil jamison and, and that band i'm like oh these guys are like cold chisel spec they have so many fucking hits it's, it's mind-blowing like every song's a hit um just full-blown virtuoso geniuses um so they're still on the scene and like and the respect that phil gives his people like is such a great great example to set for up and coming bands this is how you do it you fucking connect with people in a real and raw and beautiful way and you got emil and the sniffers the chats like um you know these fucking hard out classic bogan punk bands mm. so good man what a time to be alive and then for me my own personal tastes are, uh you know i love all that but i'm also really into this kind of disco-y like space jazz realm uh mild life uh surprise chef uh glass beams are, are a fucking mind-blowing band man that they're, they're on the come up i they're going to be huge uh you know wow. and then you got you, you tame impala parcels um these kinds of bands uh that are more established but yeah i, I i've heard theories about it like why we seem to produce such heavy hitting artists from a, a pretty small population. And we've been doing that for quite a while. I mean, fuck go all the way back to ACDC, I guess. And, uh, right through the ages. And yeah, I don't exactly know why. I think one of the theories put forward was, uh, it's just like, like a congestion thing. Like where you, ha like the, it's like a pressure, the pressure cooker effect. Like there's so many good bands in such a small population and they're kind of um touring it or, or like almost competing against each other in this local domestic scene and and you know uh, what is it iron sharpens iron or, or whatever mm. it's called mm. uh they're just producing so much quality music and art because it's just, just the sheer pressure cooker of it time for some more amazing australian art this is 400, also from Colby's latest release, Journeyman.
yeah, small, small congestion of people, but also massive distances to travel. Like I guess America's similar um, in a way, but like you got to kind of grind it out if you want to drive eight hours and get paid a hundred bucks each. Um, you know, at the start of your careers and shit, or even less. Like you got to really want it if you want to do that shit and be in the red every time you go try and tour your music you know what I mean so I feel like if they get to those next levels where they start travelling internationally it's just like a piece of piss they're just kind of like this is sick I'm I'm actually playing in America or Europe or something like and um, this is attainable for me because I've sort of like cut it out in some crook little RSL at um, <laughs> back of Ballon or something <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean like there's that sort of like that I don't know it's sort of like you grind it out in this little like traveling rivalry thing but in these big distances where it's like physically kind of a bit draining then you go somewhere like Europe you can go play these mental cities that are actually you know from here to Coffs Harbour away from each other so it's like fuck yeah let's do that it's a good point yeah looking at the tour glass beams is doing at the moment it's crazy how many shows they're playing uh in those big cities that you mentioned yeah like it's night after night for like a month or two just you know a a night off maybe one out of every five nights or something Mm. it's crazy and like you see those king gizzard posters where it's just like three-quarter text of like the whole american nation they're playing every single night for like three months it's wild shit like they're just going ham because they love it and also i wonder um i think king stingray are supporting king is in america next year holy shit so maybe we should go fuck <laughs> no, mate. the king stingers <laughs> and the king lizards <laughs> united oh the that's amazing with goanna to fucking headline I'll um, send him an email i'll get colby on there yeah 100 <laughs> percent. i'll be your uh i'll be your tool manager hey, <laughs> let me carry that guitar more cowbell <laughs> wow that's amazing man a king is another band in that echelon of up-and-coming greats like it's crazy hey eh? it's a good time to be alive and, and be engaged in australian music because it, it's not fucking pop shit either it's mm. all raw underground high-end music like that's mm. undeniable and the earthy uh rawness of it is, is a huge appeal for me for, for all of those bands uh in that kind of rock genre mm, it's like that thing too where Sometimes you listen to the national radio now and you're like, what the... I can't even relate to some of this music anymore. It's bizarre. Triple J's fucking tweaking, it's man. It's so tweaked out and, and um, you know, which is sick in its own right. Like, it's its own culture and it's gone one way. Yeah, you got to be careful, mate. You don't want to be fucking pissing off the, the J heads. <laughs> don't piss them off, Colby. Be Things careful of what you say. Oh, I can say whatever the fuck I want, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they no, make or break got, out. I got close to a bee's dick chance to get one of my songs in there, but um, um, it's that thing though where there's always that counterculture, right? Like there's like this skitsy weird kind of like neo seventeen year old pop shit going on, and then people will go, oh, this isn't my type of thing. Let's go put a gig on down at the bolo, like fucking couch wizard, like let's go just blow some people's heads off. And then that all of a sudden that starts this own little push of like a whole different um, way of like getting getting crowds there or getting an audience and shit, you know what I mean? Which is coming off, I don't like what I'm hearing on the radio, so let's fucking do this shit. It's pretty, pretty special that way. It always ping-pongs and that's how Australian music's always been in a way. 
Mm. Like imagine when, imagine when some of the guys first heard some of that midnight oil shit, like the early um, head injuries records and shit. It was the most tripped out punk, like this raw doggy alien, white alien talking about like um, indigenous issues and like fully feeding it to the people. You'd just be there going holy, and it was all done in respect to, he wasn't like a prick. He was just like this, just from another planet. Yeah, speaking truth, undeniable facts. Mm, it's crazy, like, yeah, anyway, we go on forever about that. Yeah, yeah. the 16 Bad Dreams at that festival in the sunny coast and, and how political their lyrics are. Mm. Yeah, like very much Midnight Oil reincarnate, same issues uh, in a modern context with mm. all the uh, necessary nuance and, yeah, fucking mm. delivered with, with so much guts. Um, yeah, crazy, man. And so... Uh, oh, speaking of Couch Wizard too, uh, that's where we're doing the podcast in their garage. Uh, and I actually shit saw- everywhere. <laughs> there's <laughs> shit everywhere. See. There's always shit everywhere. <laughs> True um, artist garage. There's 800 snap boards, lots of boxes of something. Obligatory set of golf clubs that's no one, <laughs> no one's ever used. Um, un, uncut bits of hardwood that will never be used. On the on the wizard, up the wizard, up the wizards. Amazing band, man. And yeah, uh, you know if. That, I'm going to repost that one, uh, the chat with Ollie uh, from Couch Wizard, because, yeah, they're, you know, if that's what the level of music is that's not famous and not really known outside of a, a small part of New South Wales, like, you can imagine how fucking good the top flight shit is. Mm. Um, and, and one of the best gigs I ever saw them play was a gig that you were also playing, and we're talking about this early today, about the floods and... Uh, they had a flood relief concert at the Northern and it was fever pitch, man. It was the most iconic night I've ever had there. And, and that's after seeing many world famous bands at that venue. But this was the night. Talk about local culture, mm. mate. It was like a, a total write-off. The, the, the venue was so far over capacity. It was ridiculous. <laughs> like they weren't letting people in the front, but everyone knew someone who was in a band. So they were, you know, the, the back door the, to the green room was just open. It was just, people were just streaming in. It was such a cosmic night. Mm. And uh, you had people who'd been ripping in for the last week, just ripping houses apart and, and shoveling sludge and mud. And mm. um, it was the big pressure valve release, the big pressure cooker uh, released. And we had all these local artists on the bill, yourself included, uh, and uh, mate, I remember the couch wizard gig in particular was fucked up. Uh, Ollie just like standing on the front of stage, like ripping in. It was, it was wild. And, uh, you did the, the cover of jailbreak. Yeah. With, that's uh, right. <laughs> who was the, the band? Was that the, was oh, like a flying no. machine or something? Yeah. At the end with flying machine. That was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like this beautiful, colorful celebration of, of, Australian re, Australians ripping in for each other and, and supporting each other and all doing it for a fucking gold coin donation or nothing mm. like amazing night yeah and what are your whole, memories of it that that whole that just that whole time was such a um, tripped out time because there was so much <clears throat> horrible shit around us at that time it's hard to put into words like everyone's sort of referred to it but you know, not just places like Lismore, but up further at Mwilumbar and even down the coast and shit. Like, they actually look like war zones. Like, the amount of destruction from the floods, the, sh the smells. I remember the first house we w walked into was like a double-story old Queenslander in Lismore. And um, 
we were just getting everything out. And the last thing was this huge double door fridge. And it was just sort of a couple of us and the family there. Um, and we tipped it out. We had to get it out and carry it down these huge stairs. And all the flood water just came down out of the fridge onto my knees. And this off chicken <sighs> fell out onto me. And I was just like pretty much spewing up because of the smell. Like just the smell of that place will be forever ingrained in a lot of people that went and helped or imagine the people that went back to their houses for the first time and that's just one element of it and then it just went on forever it's still going on people are still trying to recoup recoup their finances or get their house sorted in Lismore you know what I mean because of all the red fucking tape remember like the whole ScoMo thing he flew in and he's fucking private yeah split the community down the middle uh what was the story there like he was uh, giving some people funding or, and, and some people not or something. They, they did this bizarre manoeuvre where they tried to, to, to cleave the Northern Rivers into two sections, mm. which was never going to wash because we'd all been helping each other from the, the Tweed to the from the Tweed River to the Clarence, that, mm. that whole area. Mm. Uh, everyone just down tools and, and ripped in for, for two weeks longer mm. to help each other. They're never going to tear us apart after that. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's just like... and that. It was like that, you know, that was going on for a crazy amount of time. And then the flip side to all of that and, like, all your respects to the people who have died from those floods, who have still lost everything, who haven't mentally recovered from what the fuck happened, you know what I mean? Like, so much trauma. Um, It makes you think about how lucky we are in this country also to live in such beautiful places with support and... um, you know, you think of the shit going on in the Middle East and stuff like that. Like, it's just like a every year, oh, here's another war, here's another fucking mass bombing somewhere, you know what I mean? To me, that was the f- closest I've ever seen to, like, some sort of picture of a war zone of how it looked. There's just fucking shit everywhere strewn through places. Like, it was just a town on its hunches, you know what I mean? Just fucked. But the flip side of it was that feeling of community where... When shit here really hits the fan, how people can bond and come together to help, you know, each other out. It was something that we've both experienced that was, it's hard to explain how special that feeling was where everyone from all classes sort of just dropped what they're doing and just went and cleaned people's houses they'd never met in their lives. It was the thing to do. You had to do it. Like, uh, it became the fashion, it became... Uh, popular on instagram but like so it should have and it it was also happening in the background obviously like not popularized or or publicized it was just the thing to do it had to be done it reminds me of like the old war posters in a sense like you know go and join the front fight the germans in world war ii or whatever it was kind of a a similar phenomenon in, in terms of like you had to join the fight. Like mm. your country needed you mm. in that moment. Yeah. And to, to not do it w- was a risk that you were not willing to take because of the great shame mm. that you would feel uh, by being outed for, for being one of the people who didn't help. You just, mate. You, if and there's you, a few of you out there, I reckon. <laughs> you piss ants. <laughs> no mud on your boots, Desmond. <laughs> but yeah, it was... <laughs> Always hiding in your little dandy, having a bat right now, just feeling the cone of shame. Wear that for your life. That's right. I'm talking to you, the guy who owns the Wardell pub. <laughs> I cleaned your fucking mud off your doors and you won't even open the pub, you can't. <laughs> fucking dog. Allegedly. 
uh, Polt's perspective. <laughs> but um, yeah, what were we talking about? Well, that <laughs> night, just that night was amazing, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, from where I was in the crowd, which in my opinion is the best place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always my favourite place to be. Anyway, like, it was an amazing thing to see. What did it look like from your perspective on stage? Mm, I've never seen that many people at the Northern. Like, that joint was packed and it was... It was a real, I don't know, it's kind of like that thing where in any little town, especially a town like Byron where there's been such an influx of people, there's all these people that you, you know, people hang with this certain group or people do this with that. On that one particular night, it was just like this big, everyone was just hanging out with everyone and, and, sh- and swapping the common denominator of the stories of like, um, what did you see today? Who did you help? You know what I mean? Like... Is that person all right? How was that house with the mud fucking two metres deep up to the second floor? You know what I mean? It was like a... It stripped back all that bullshit and it's weird how it takes such a monumental event or like a death in the community like that or something like that that strips us back of all that bullshit that we carry around with us every day. It's pretty... It was pretty... It was really special. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I mean, it was like the mud just washed away the social classes and showed us who we really are, who we've been for hundreds of years, 60,000 years even, mm. a bunch of fucking black and white cunts ripping in, just absolutely at peace and in pure joy in each other's company mm. uh, because we're all in the same stinking situation. Mm. And I wish we realized that more often because mm. that is what we are as a nation. We're, we're a nation that is all in the same stinking situation, but capitalism has turned us against each other, all competing for these fucking crumbs. Mm. Uh, when in reality, we, we should be, you know, standing together against the tyranny of uh, corporate capitalism and, and these petrochemical oligarchies. And if that means having to be poor and, and help each other instead of working for the man, you know, mm. like if that's what standing together means like fucking sweet mm. we'll, we'll be happier anyway and we'll be fine mm. there's, there's this great fear of pushing back on a broken system as if it's going to take from us and leave us poor and, and in poverty but at the end of the day you'll never be in poverty when you've got that much help mm. you can't it's impossible mm. and you see that in countries like Uruguay, for example, I just watched that uh, Netflix doco on El Pepe Mujica, the great Uruguayan uh, resistance leader uh, who became the president of Uruguay and, and, and famously was that Povo president. You probably saw the, the fucking Instagram meme of him driving around his sh- shitty old oh, is that him? beetle. Lord, yeah, man. so he's a he real... He was ripping in. Mate. El Pepe rips El in. El Pepe fucking rips in. And and Uruguay rips in for each other. Mm. And they're not a wealthy country, but they don't have the social ills uh, even remotely of all of its neighbours who are still locked in this uh, constant arm wrestle with, with, with this corporate capitalist, fascist kind of, all these the, the lingering effects of all these dictatorships that the United States... Uh, put in play over there Mm. Uruguay stood up to to their version of that El Pepe went to prison for 12 years him and his mates uh, and he come out and he's never budged and and the country's followed his lead completely they elected him they believed in him and um, as a result that's a country that has uh, immense social cohesion and and just this raw but amazingly heartfelt kind of folk culture Mm. and we could be that Mm. we we, arguably we were that 
Uh, and maybe we'll go back to that. I think we should. I think it's I think it's a better look for us than fucking this uh, American style capitalism or this British style post-colonialism this mm. aristocratic shit like it doesn't wash man we know we know when we're happier and it's when we're ripping in for each other mm. fucking cleaning the mud off mm. each other's homes and mm. boots and clothes yeah rip the fuck in it's so true it should be i don't know we're just such this melting pot of culture and um like you know a young history compared to other um places in the world but also such an old one as well and people have this weird fear of trying to like um have both of those together in our story but it's absolute bullshit like the australian way would be everyone gets to go let's all fucking rip in but sometimes it gets a bit us versus them or you know what i mean like at the moment with whatever it just feels a bit those things will always be in play. That's how the system works. It, it works through dividing us and pitting us against each other. That's how it maintains its control over the population. And it does that through this economic system. Rip in. Rip in. Uh, surfing, mate. Uh, ultimately, that's what brought us together. And you're much better at it than me. Uh, you're actually... So, talk I've me through you, it. I've seen you in a couple of beautiful cavern swimming mm, it's so happened don't, don't play it down <laughs> rip in a, a, a one, yeah i'm a one out of ten guy every dog has his day hope you get the lot smithy but uh yeah talk us through it man so you, you grow up in byron and at some point you were sponsored right you had a couple of sp- back in the day, back in the day? Of, yeah a couple um a couple of free rashies one <laughs> one trip somewhere once um, you had a few fucking shoes from Globe or something, weren't you? Couple, couple, couple of, of shoes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a couple I of remember, raging bull um, models. There was a guy at Globe. Uh, his name was Mike Xavier. He was such a lord. He was like this eight foot tall dude that ended up being like a base jumper lord. But he had this like skitzy car from the Matrix, like this black V8 thing. And one day he took me up to the Goldie and we got sushi. That was the highlight of my surf career. <laughs> That's how far I got. I never, I, I, I never. Shout out to Mike Xavier, yeah, you fucking lord. lord. He's probably base jumper right now in Switzerland. What <laughs> a fucking lord. But yeah, he didn't have to get me sushi, and he just sort of gave me the little tour of what it would be like to be a proper sponsor server. <laughs> but yeah, I got. Um, you're talking to um, 77th in the uh, 2000 something Pro Juniors, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just just melt at the Pro Juniors. There's all these just like full sponsored Goldie dudes or just like full shredders. Yeah, who are you surfing against? Um, I guess like those were the days of like, oh, Stewie Kennedy. Mm, SKX mowing. He was just like this mini Mick Fanning um, up the stew. He's still shredding. Mm. But um, that sort of era, I I can't remember really who. Jay Davies and all those guys have come over from WA. And it's just like, I was just this little nuke from Suffolk Park just like, Oh, God. Like, they're actually just manhandling the shit out of it. And then I just get pissed off and do one turn after the heat. That was good. But I don't think I made it past round of 48 ever. I never really... I just tripped out in surf comps. I just never... I was always... I love team sport. Mm. soccer at the moment. And that was my, my jam. Loved footy. But I never had the head space for 
um, the solo sport thing tripped me out. But I used, to, I still love it. I, I fucking love surfing and following it and everything. Yeah, yeah, and mate, you've retained like the kind of fundamentals of barrel riding in, in a really elite way. I reckon, like, uh, I reckon you're pretty well elite in that in that caper. Um, yeah, I mean, so talk to us about growing up in Byron, like the big local influences. Uh, yeah, who kind of mentored you along the way uh, with your surfing? Um, yeah, I think it was just that thing where, um, like, Kieran Perro used to live, his parents used to live, like, four doors down from the street. And, um, you know, guys like Matt Chelman. Matt Chelman used to live in our our garage actually next door like in at brandon street so that was cool and my it was funny my dad was full christian still is like full christian kind of guy and he was sort of he had a really rough upbringing in cronulla and um christian surfers kind of saved him from going down a dark path so he was always in that little realm and then you had Matt Chalman in the fucking garage next year. He's ripping <laughs> hot ones. Yeah, and the black flies. He's just like... Black flies, he used to amazing. Like trip people out and just do like full nude runs down the shop and shit and go get some black groceries and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really... amazing. Good old-fashioned freak out. <laughs> Keep buying on its yeah. toes. Keep the yuppies on their toes. Hey, cop me prong. <laughs> 9 a.m. when you're getting your coffee. Full wraparound black flies. Like, what are you looking at, gun? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think, yeah, just... Obviously, Danny Wills was a huge one. Like, he was our sort of holy shit. That's Wills. Like, yeah, he put he's Byron, on the tour. <laughs> he, not only was he on the tour, yeah. went toe to toe with Slater and uh, Mick Campbell for a world title in '98. So that's like right in the the kind of guts of your upbringing, I imagine. Mm. Uh, yeah, for sure it is. We're a similar age. Mm. Like that was would have been such a huge moment for Byron. Would have really like validated the, the local surf scene in a massive way at that point. Yeah, and I, my my dad was always into like um, photography and like filming and stuff like that, and he used to love doing that stuff. And he used to take photos of all the, like wheelsies and stuff like that. And sometimes you go like back in the day, drop around the negatives and shit, <laughs> and go around wheelsies once. And I was just like, holy shit, there's Danny Wheels. Like, but back then it was all it was all you heard it like in surf mags, or you just heard it from like. I would have been pretty young then, so I was probably only just reading surf mags. I was just probably more looking at tubes and reef girls and shit. You know what I mean? You just heard it in the surf. Oh, Willsy did this, like, on the tour, or have you heard about that floater he did at G-Land back in the day and shit? And you're like, what the fuck? It's funny, now it's so in your face, Instagram, um, online and shit, but back then it was more, every month there was some folklore about Kieran Parrow went down to this place called Shipstones and shit. You know what I mean? It's just like, what, that guy lives down the street? He's a maniac. Like, he's really well-spoken and pretty nice to me, and I'm 12. (laughs) (laughs) And then you see photos, like, two months later, just, like, these fucking lips the size of, you know, the asbestos shack down the road, and you're just like, what the fuck? That was kind of... That was really cool, like, seeing those dudes from Byron. Because back then... It was a small town, you know. It still has those small town values, but it's a world. It's a fucking tr- worldwide trademark now. Everyone knows about Byron Bay, but back then it was just like the same old sleepy towns along the east coast with a bunch of surfers. And it just so happened to produce like one of the the great rail shaman style masters, one of the most like clinical power surfing approaches ever. Like 
so amazing to see him surfing. I mean, first one's living up here, I guess, in my early 20s, uh, not long after he quit the tour. And it was a thing to behold seeing that in the flesh at the pass or broken head, just the, the super fast lines he was laying down, everything so linked and flowy, like as good a rail surfing as anyone's ever really done like front side anyway it was, fuck it was good these three quarter borders were like seven to eighth board board shorts because they were so big on him <laughs> these big quick silver boards i don't can't even believe how fast he'd go with those things just <laughs> lagging in the wind but he was just, <laughs> just flapping <laughs> him and garrett park <laughs> Yeah, and then you're right though, and then KP obviously being this absolute psycho in in, in the juice, like, uh, and that's kind of been the trademark of Byron surfing since then. It's like you know you you really got some of the, the best bow riders in the world here, uh, in, in say someone like Torrin and uh, Rasta, um, who lives here now. Like, I mean, from Burley, but like, yeah, like so. And then, you know, the underground guys like yourself, Jezza, Tubby, uh, I don't know, I'm probably missing someone, but like, yeah, this Jody, Jody Boat Walker. Really good yeah. Car, right. There's a lot of great there. Good tube riders. Good tube riders yeah. yeah uh, and I don't exactly know why that is. Like, I got my theories. I feel like the, the, the waves are yet to kind of take off on a miniature version of every slab on the planet on the beach breaks here, you know, and it's pretty regular. Like, uh, there's a lot of just open beachy that get these kind of clean wedged up swells and it comes there's a lot of closeouts like to 90 fucking eight percent closeouts but there's a lot of days where you can even pack in closeouts like knife and technical drops uh into a closeout or a doggy door that's still so good for your surfing and then you go to these reefs and slabs and you just have to upscale those skills uh and then yeah you're fucking not like packing 10 footers at chippies and <laughs> dominating it back door and off the wall look yeah. at that guy yeah. KP fuck what a maniac uh, yeah just apparently like just old articles of him just like just like just some cheeky little smile he just packed a 12 foot off the wall close out which is pretty psycho to think about I'll just shut this garage oh, oh yeah a bit windy but yeah I reckon that's probably a good theory like um you do get quite consistent little cover-ups here, basically. And then you've just got to go and see... I mean, everywhere in Australia has these amazing barrel rider kind of people, you know what I mean? And But when you go to the south coast or further south or west Oz and you see the commitment that those... You know, just some dude in Western Australia, you've never seen his head. He looks like an orc. He's a fucking legend, really nice, calm dude, and he's just trying to pack the biggest bomb you've ever seen. And so I feel like, yeah, people get that sort of like, it's like an easy way to learn over here on the softer East Coast waves, but it still gets hollow. And then you just got to try and have a crack or just watch those dudes. And the way that they do it is pretty incredible too. <laughs> some of those, yeah, some of those South Coast guys are just like... Yeah, he's definitely not pulling back. Even though the thing's tripling up and there's no water below him. He's going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's where surfing's gone to now. Like, uh, the the skill set earned on, you know, hucking yourself into the trough of beach breaks on the northern rivers is, is not as relevant now as where surfing's gone, where it is, it's guys who are willing to huck themselves into the trough of a fucking gurgling south coast slab, i.e., Russ Burke, Bjork and 
all the the levels beneath him like that's where fucking slab surfing's at now it's it's just fearless people who wrangle what very recently were bodyboarding waves Mm. yeah it's like it's amazing to watch and and you know i haven't done some of that gnarly stuff but even being out there in those sessions and watching those dudes like they're on almost a another realm of like they are committed and they really defy what's going on like um you know even five years ago or something i feel like it's like what the hell is going to happen in 10 years when this mini russell's out at like some 15 foot slab and he's eight years old and he's fully backdooring it you like it there's going to be even more wild shit that just keeps progressing but it's just like at the moment watching something like that russell Bjork clip is like are you is this photoshopped is this cunt serious like it's it's incredible to watch it's pretty pretty cool fully yeah and, and russell is actually he is the mini russell because russell's the mini kirk mm. and kirk's a psychopath mm. yeah. and now russ is the the very embodiment of like the second generation big wave psycho slab lord making his own boards like he is the the, the pedigree in him is unbelievable and we're actually watching it unfold in real time like a, a superhuman athlete do shit that's f- so far beyond the pale mm. uh, and i hope if russ ever has a grommy it's got like a classic name like he's like greg or just something real chilled not no like new age name yeah like, russell is a very norm core name yeah, isn't it greg bjork yeah and he doesn't John. surf just plays backgammon <laughs> really well <laughs> <laughs> but he's known for his risk-taking behavior on the backgammon set. Destroys the kernels. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, another guy you grew up with, man, Torrin, obviously uh, just put out one of the, the greatest surf films ever made, I'm calling Clipped, is is unbelievable. Um, but you and him also, like, you're both kind of working in that same space. Like, you both make surf films. Uh, I mean... Yeah, you're like more involved in the the cinematography side of things, mm. uh, capturing clips and stuff like that, which is such an interesting job for you because like, fuck, you surf at such an elite level and you love those kinds of waves that you're shooting, but then you're shooting them like, fuck, man, I don't know if I could do that. That would, that would maybe drive me a bit crazy, but yeah. It, yeah. it did. I used to do a bit at tracks and I just felt like such a Desmond because I'd be like, it it started, you know, actually, I, I guess I grew up just frothing on like Endless Summer Tour and shit like that, like those travel ones where you're just like, this is incredible where they're um, showing this journey and they're going surfing. That was basically the thing that just changed my life, watching those films with my dad and his friends and shit, like this is what you want to do your whole life. And I was never like that exceptional surfer that's going to get heaps of money off a company or something like that but i just watching endless summer too i was like that's what i want to do forever and and it sort of went in different ways where i got so lucky where i met uh wet lettuce denny john at the um at um where we used to live in tamarim when i moved to sydney and he kind of just was like oh you're a surfer like i need help at waves mag and that, like, a few weeks later i was just on this like percent contract like 20 grand a year but i was just helping him out like at waves i was like holy shit like i just moved from buying like it was such a trip out and then that turned into filming at tracks and stuff when waves sort of went under 
but I just got to a point where I was filming, I think went on this boat trip and I was filming like immaculate green bush, like clay marzo and, and rasters and the, the Gadowskis brothers and shit. And I was getting so barreled. It was like the most flawless green bush I've ever seen. And I got, I got put on the land because I was the, the grommy, so I just got nuked in that channel, like <laughs> six foot <laughs> washes with like a pelican going everywhere. It's gone, <laughs> fuck, it was the end of the trip. I've been on the boat for a month with Swilly and we were just about to kill each other. <laughs> and I was just there getting so burnt, like running out of bang bangs and Picari sweat, just like, you know what, this job's pretty shit. Like I'm actually so off it. <laughs> I could have saved money and laboured and came and surfed these waves because it's just that thing, if you didn't have that desire to surf, those kind of waves then it will be the best thing ever but if you do it's kind of like having to watch porn with no hands you're just sitting there just like fuck this is sort of crook <laughs> Mate. but you feel like such a desmond because you're like that's amazing compared to digging holes for someone but it was just that mentality of like oh fuck it's pretty mm. so then i end up doing a trip around oz and then that's where i sort of sort of blended the both where i, I made that film called huru and just saw like a story you could tell and i love like filming shit and and waves but more i still want to surf as well so trying to find the perfect balance <laughs> yeah it's so good it's so good to see the narrated surf films come back uh i mean all those classics free ride uh endless summer endless summer too oh uh, man like some of those dick cool ones uh Oh man, what are they called? Fuck. Anyway, like it's such a, it was such a steeze. It was the mm. kind of the done thing mm. in the late seventies, eighties. Uh, some of Jack McCoy's like nineties, um, yeah. And then they kind of went away. The, the narrated surf film mm. it felt like for a good like a, a good fuck. I don't know, 10, 20 years mm. pretty much. And now they're back again, and it, it, they're sick. It, it, I love like. Uh, Huru and Turu, they're both like these kind of Australian surfing road trip character based um, surf films. Mm. And there's a lot in that genre, but I enjoy them all. Like, I, I, I don't know, there's something about them. It's effortless and, and easy. And I guess that's our culture again. Like, it's, it's very familiar. Um, and, you know, the waves are pumping, the characters are amusing always. Uh, and the best thing about them, I've got time from all as long as they. Are respectful in not blowing spots out like as long as they know how to obscure spots and throw off a bit what are some of the tips like you're really good at it that's uh why can it sit back and relax and watch your films because yeah. if they don't obscure the surf spots I, I i can't relax i start freaking out yeah i feel like especially some parts in australia where like there's even a part in turu the next it's just like a sequel to the Huru one just um which I'm going to put out in January and shit. But in that, there's actually a, a narration about that saying it's it's me talking about like basically, um, yeah, it's sort of like listen to this Desmond. He's talking about himself, gallivanting around Australia, filming himself surfing and making a film about it and then telling people not to film spots. But I feel like there's... There's some nuance. There's some nuance there. And, and also the thing is too, like, you go to certain parts in Australia where their their legacy of that certain spot, which is fucking ages away from whatever, has been to keep that spot special and uncrowded because 
and you should respect that in a way you know what i mean like that's how you make friends with those people that's how they see your character as um like earnest and honest you're not being a desmond there to take everything like fucking everyone does these days like capitalism you know what i mean i'll just take all that shit because it's you know it's there to, for the taking it yeah, shouldn't the, be like that it should be the out of town cone thief one of the yes. most one of the most hated of all the surfing archetypes blows into town in his mm. fancy car he's out the local spot thieving the jewels mm. thieving the gems and then scarpering mm. and with sacks of cones in his pineal gland ironically like other people's cones all, all those cone thieves somehow have spent six months in byron and then when they go somewhere they say oh yeah i'm from byron <laughs> they go fuck what you must be friends with nick colby i'm like no he's not from there he just said he's from there now so i don't know it's just that it's it's but it's just, like you said it's that value thing too where i reckon um there's ways to go about it and it's oh, it's easy like, enough to throw off. It's easy. Yeah. <laughs> just throw off, you idiots. Yeah, yeah. Fucking hell. You don't want it to turn into, uh, uh, you know, every other spot in the world. We've mm. got this little sprinkling of world-class waves here and pretty much everyone in the, in the country or a lot seem to know where at least a few of them are. Mm. And if you want it to stay like that, then fucking stop putting it on your fucking social media mm. accounts. And so And in surf films without... You know, taking the care to, to throw off. I, I watch like a lot of Ando's films, man. Ando's real good at it. And I guess because they're made by a bodyboarder, I think mm. it's uh, Phil Gallagher or, or, or Katie or one of those. A lot mm. of those bodyboarders are involved in it. Mm. And they're just so good, mate. You, you, they, the way that they deliberately throw off mm. where spots are and, and, and misrepresent landmarks and intersperse waves from various spots in one section as if it is a single mm. section. Like, well, that stuff's fucking genius, man. Mm. And it, it's not hard to do. Um, yeah, and people people go on the argument, oh, well, you know, we don't own the ocean, like, who cares, you know, everything's blown out anyway, it's on Instagram shit, it's like, that is the shittest way to have an outlook on somewhere that you're travelling to, that fucking shit shits me, like, don't think, oh, well, everyone else does it, so I'm going to geotag where I just surfed three minutes ago, just fucking give it a rest and sort of like, think smartly about, okay, if I do that, am I going to piss off? probably some real staunch dude that lives eight hours in the middle of nowhere like you can sort of be smart about it yeah and are you going to kill the goose that lays the golden egg are Mm. you going to turn that spot into a circus and a zoo with a bunch of people out there who who shouldn't be Mm. yes you are so don't so yeah i think i think there's definitely you know ironically it's sort of like it could go back to that thing well if you care a lot about it then you wouldn't um be filming anyway but there's definitely ways about it where you can be respectful and not blow out a spot, I guess. Mm. So that should be the main thing. Go and enjoy it. Do what you got to do. But there's some spots the locals don't want you to film. So the, the best way to do that is not film there. Mm. Don't even slide your little camera under your little sweaty ball bag and film some weird little clip. Just like, just don't do it and go surf somewhere else in Australia, which is bullshit that people don't necessarily have that protection of that sport yeah it's a funny thing too because you often hear pro surfers complaining about crowds and so they go and escape the crowds by surfing waves that are world class and uncrowded that they can find out about but then they shoot them Mm. and crowd them Mm. and then complain about the crowds Mm. every time you surf you should just say oh i surfed the pass it was good All around the world. Until you're, around, <laughs> yeah, until you're around a campfire with three or four of your most trusted mates. Maybe not three. Maybe two. 
two of your most trusted mates and then maybe spill the beans. But don't spill the beans otherwise. I mean, why would you? What is the incentive to promote these surf spots? Like, like what is it? Like, why do people do it? Why do they they go and in films or social media not take care with obscuring where these spots are? Mm, I think... The whole thing is tripped out. For the sake of your cheesy little narratives, <laughs> hey, for a couple of fucking likes, you dog. Fuck's wrong with you. Mm, yeah, twenty percent I mean, off some booties and shit. Yeah, I know, it's and, just, and we've all made these mistakes too, like in little ways, like uh, transgressions at the beginnings of social media. But surely by this point now, you can see the writing on the wall, and mm. and everyone should now understand that. Like what mm. happens when you when you oversaturate the places you love with Mm. publicity mm. loses its sacredness mm. yeah 100 percent. and then i think yeah like back to that thing there's less and less spots where it is a bit sacred in that way so if people are there if people are there with that understanding of it and they're from there and they want to protect it you should jump on that bandwagon instead of being like i'm gonna blow that spot out because it's gonna look sick for me to get my free wetsuit next year you know what i mean like it's just that thing where some things are better left just respected and 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 enjoyed for everyone and that's sort of i think the mentality that we should all have in a, in a way oh 100 percent. i mean speaking of joints that have been oversaturated and well i'm not gonna say destroyed but like seriously eroded uh we actually share this in common being from towns that were just decimated by capitalism and I guess a certain kind of tourism, oh, a similar kind of tourism, yeah. Like just, but in particular, the just the profiteering of an existing community um, to the point where the people who live there can no longer afford to live there, and then they they have to move everywhere, and they lose their connections to the people they've known their whole life, um, and they become infinitely more vulnerable. Because you know, what are we without community? We're fucking nothing. Uh, and growing up in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, that happened. And um, it happened up in where you're from too, Byron. Uh, you know, what are your observations on what's happened to your town that you grew up in? Mm, it's just like an absolute shit show, really, like compared to how it used to be in, in a way. But then I guess... There's also that thing where, um, yeah, if you keep holding that hot bit of coal, it's just gonna, only going to fuck with y yourself, you know, and burn yourself and you get a bit, you get a bit jaded and shit. Like there's locals that you see that like, they're just so tunnel vision in the surf and so off it that it's like, um, I can fully understand why you're off it. You, you're, I know that you're a really good person and then you're just, and, and, it's a common denominator around Australia, to be honest. Like, there's different levels of Byron Bay or Bondi going on at different periods of... People find out that this place is epic, that they can live there, they move there, and they either act accordingly and they kind of, like, become a part of the community and respect it, mm. or they just fucking put 50 apartments on the joint and then buy 50 more and buy the shop and turn it into this fucking whorehouse of... Um, greed and gentrification mm. and capitalism and and Byron Bay is the epicenter of that in a way. People are just it's gone at next level 
there's pricks flying there, private choppers every day of where I surf, and you see the same one. It's just like you can't even drive your car. You got to get your chopper up to the Goldie to go somewhere. It's like what the hell? That is next level fucked up. <laughs> but it's it's tripped out. It's like a Hollywood mecca. But then the flip side of it too is like my parents when they were 19 or 20 they moved from Canola you know what I mean they 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 found this beautiful part of the world called Byron Bay and they thought oh we don't want to be in the city anymore let's go to Byron um and then that's why I was born in Byron you know what I mean because they moved so it's like it's that like two sides to it where you can't just be like so off it for someone coming in and trying to establish themselves but it's that also that thing where I feel like back in that day, people were leaving parts like that to to live a slower life and to sort of like avoid the rattery. And, and then now there's this thing where we're all dual, triple occupancies of different parts of Australia with four houses and we Mate, can just be this online rat just kind of like milking it that's the thing mate it's just like that's not what this culture is about Mm. don't try and capitalize on me cunt like my fucking my mum's been there in fucking the eastern suburbs since 1980 fucking nine i don't know like and she's been working away massaging people her whole life she's paid full rent she's raised not one kid but a fucking street urchin uh, and she's battling to pay the rent still. Like, you know, the rent just keeps going up. Uh, they keep selling the public housing off from the city and moving it out west. Uh, you know, when do people like that get a break in life? Uh, why, why are they deemed unworthy to be a member of a community? What a fucking joke. Like, ambulance officers, fireys, like, essential services, um, can no longer afford to live in the communities they're from in the city because, oh, well, it's a popular place now. That's just progress. That's just how it goes. Fuck that. Like, mm. mate, how it goes is that the the people who are essential founding and beloved members of your community fucking get to stay, mate. Mm. In, in any culture in the world, it's like that. That's mm. not this warped fucking cash grab uh, that is late stage capitalism. You know, you go to Bali, you go to India, you go to Nepal. They don't just come along and fucking clear the slum out and put a set of apartments there. Mm. Like there'd be uproar, mm. and they just wouldn't do it. I don't think it occurs to people to do that mm. in a lot of parts, in a lot of other cultures. It's like, what is the point there? Like, I like my neighbours. I might be a rich person in that suburb, mm. uh, but I like who I I like where I live and the people I live with. I'm not gonna fucking try and make an extra five mil and then boot those five people I like. Mm. And like, even if you're not directly doing it, even if you're indirectly doing it, like if you're a, a rich person from Byron or a rich person from the Eastern suburbs and you're involved in this, like buying of properties with cap, extra capital and, and just keeping it turning over, do you ever think about what you're doing to the place you live in? Like mm. a lot, there's a lot of working class sellouts that have done that, you know, they've stopped caring about the fucking the blue collar and the you know some people can't even scrape in at blue collar because they're single parents or whatever very common like in this yeah, culture yeah. i mean you you yeah it seems to be all right because they fucking donate a hundred bucks to the local board riders and shit it's just like i feel like it's that it's that full thing like even for us to be right here like in a shed out the back of ballina like we are 
as privileged as they get in comparison to what the fuck's going on in other parts in the world, you know? Yeah, we could be in a fucking shed out the back of Sao Paulo. (laughs) But that shed would probably be fucking Six Cunt's house. Exactly. But they might have a little podcast shed off the side. mm, I hope they do. It's Willianos. (laughs) <laughs> I'd love to hear that. I'd love the Swellianos right now. Oh. Please send the Swellianos. Yeah, we've got us. some listeners there. We oh, do. I was looking at our map of where we have listeners. It's mm. unbelievable where mm. we've got listeners. Like we've got listeners uh, in like landlocked, like Oman. You know, like one, like one guy in Burma. There's just guys tuning in all over the planet. Uh, I can actually, <laughs> I can pull it up right now. It's a fucking pisser. I've been meaning to do this for a while. Need to give a shout out to our uh, to some of our more obscure listeners. Burmanese. Uh, How lordish. But yeah, I th- uh, um, before we cross to this thing, I, yeah, I, I feel like it's that delicate balance of like, this is actually what's happening in an area like this and also in other amazing areas in the world too. Um, in Australia, I guess, particularly because that's what we can relate to. But it was interesting doing that last trip um, around Oz and just sort of just being the fly on the wall on different parts where they're going through the same thing and the same, like, you just have your good and bad days with a place where one day everything's lordish, everyone's having a fun surf, um, people are saying g'day to each other, it's like a really nice vibe. Next minute, there's some Desmond up your ass going 90Ks in a 60 in a white Range Rover, like pretty much trying to run you over because he wants to get to the shops to get his little sport kid like a fucking kombucha. I've got to make a short sell. The Nasdaq's up on the Dow. <laughs> get out of my way. It's like, it's, yeah, it's good and bad days, but I, I feel like I talk about in that the Turu film too about like, we're all going through a similar sense of surf culture identity and a pandemic of sorts of that thing where places are just getting more and more crowded. So we need to almost, I don't know, in some weird way, how can you come together and actually there needs to be some sort of tripped out for, for, forum about how do we move forward as a surf culture in terms of like, um, do you just burn everyone because you're a local from there? Because that pisses people off as well, you know what I mean? Mm. Or do you just blow in and just start flexing your weird passive, like, aggression and, like, they're not actually going to hurt me so I can just snake everyone and, and cruise around <laughs> a pack of six. And all these locals are going, fuck, this is not how we grew up here. We we learnt how that to... That guy should get punched. Yeah, we learnt how to... But we learnt... See you in court. We learnt that... Yeah, exactly. Fuck. We learnt, like, um, you don't do that because you do get bocked in the head by... Just a harmless bocking occasionally. <laughs> it's not the worst thing in the world. I'm, Name me a fucking sport where someone doesn't get a, an occasional clip for being a greedy fucking swine. Name me one. Yeah, maybe badminton. tennis. Yeah, yeah but I they got a shuttlecock in the, the temple. <laughs> Mate, I've seen ball boys cop a couple of fucking serves down the middle. A couple of scuds. From the poo. From the scud, yeah. Straight between the teeth. <laughs> Funk. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know. I think I, I've got this thing in my brain. Maybe it can turn into a national thing that if there's under 20 people, if there's 20 or under people in the surf, surely you can figure it out between you. If you're out there for an hour, all right, we can all probably get a good wave each year in, in an ideal world. Then it's past the 20 number, <laughs> number 21 comes out, free for all. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> start swinging haymakers and shit. But you know what I mean? There's there's got to be some sort of I don't know. Like, it's just a, it's it's a shit show, and people will pretend that it's not. And when you get one person being a Desmond in the surf, it fucks everyone. And everyone's kind of looking at you like, oh, should we tell that guy off or or like, oh, what's going on here? But like, there needs to be more. I feel a conversation on some sort of platform about how to surf to with each other again. It's like you need to relearn how to actually like enjoy getting barreled together because it's like as soon as the surf gets good too, people turn into these fucking hyenas, you know what I mean? Like rabid dogs because this one guy who can't even get barreled will be out there just fucking paddling for everything. And then locals look at them like, oh, if he's doing that, we got to do that too. But it's like, how can we figure out how to solve that problem? Because it's a full crisis around the whole nation. It's tripped out. It is. It's a it's a crisis around the nation. Mm. You're right. Mm. It is. It is a. It should mm. be on the fucking front page of the mm. Daily Telegraph. Calling Margot, please sort this shit out <laughs> with your cosmic calves. We need an ambassador. <laughs> this is how it's done. <laughs> Oh, mate, absolutely. Now, just uh, back to what I was saying before. Yeah, where we're at, Burma. So we got, uh, we got a swelling in Uganda. Yes. Wherever you are out there listening, keep holding it down in Uganda, central landlocked Africa. Mm. Uh, we got a couple in Egypt, a couple swellings in Egypt. Nice. That'd be a good outfit in the... Uh in the any is there any surf? There must be a couple Some waves there, on the north top, coast yeah. there, yeah. On the med, Pharaoh, Pharaoh couple Pharaoh wedges, yeah. A couple of little uh, Pharaoh wedges, couple of wedges off the the giant sphinx, <laughs> as you rinse your sphinx. <laughs> we've got uh, yeah, we've got one in Myanmar. He's escaped the uh, the lockdown. The, the the coup there, the military dictatorship, and he's managing to, to tune into the, the international swelling podcast somehow, tapping what, into the network. What a legend. <laughs> yeah, re- like the cable guy rewiring some sort of government-blocked internet there. And up the swellings in Myanmar. Up the swellings in Myanmar. Uh, I've got a big following in Thailand, 15. Fuck yeah. Cup and cup. And 22 in Vietnam, right. Yeah, okay. So, a couple in uh, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, maybe a swellness event in Saudi Arabia. That'll be cruisy over there, <laughs> tuning in from the wave pool. It's on the new plum gig on your cruisy, well played. Uh, yeah, so. And what a, yeah, just got to say, what a, up the swellings. What a sick thing that, I remember when you guys were starting this in the depths of somewhere in Sydney. Parramatta Road. Parramatta Road. <laughs> and look how far it's come. Good on you. Thanks for having me on here. Oh, it's been quite the journey, man. Uh, fuck, I couldn't help myself. I was feeling a little bit strung out from the brew and I had to tap into a bit of uh, Mary Jane at the start of the episode. So I only really get stoned with, it, with my mates. The people feel comfortable around. So it's, yeah, fucking mad. Bloody hell. Uh Mate, I realised as well, you were my fucking, you were my editor at Waves. No way. For one. Carved off a few crumbs of cheese for Smitty, who was taking the piss in Indo. Had the keys to the fucking Waves, the, the, the $25,000 budgetary empire. And I reckon I carved a good three grand off you. 
living over there. Well played. West of Chenggu and uh, the various missions around there. Fucking well, classic. Well played. Yeah. <laughs> and that was some iconic issues. I think I'm going to read some... Uh, yeah, read some of the stories from those issues. Mm, in waves. Those ones yeah. that we were doing, yeah. You get, um, They're unbelievable. Wet lettuce back on. What's he? Fuck, oh, man, I will. Yeah. yeah. I, I see him uh, fairly often at work there and stuff. Oh, very good. Mate, uh, as well, I've got to ask you, that the Cape to Cape trek with um, Torrin and Ayana, mm. where you carried uh, you know, your camping gear, your cooking gear, your, your surfing gear, your camera gear, and a board, you're basically walking panel vans, human <laughs> panel vans, just carrying these big sacks of belongings through these sandy, rocky dunes, uh, constantly stumbling and, and sweating and uh, eating fucking tin food for how long was it? Oh, only like five days. Five days. <laughs> it, was, um, it felt like a lifetime. Even yeah. uh, out of all your, your creative endeavors and your, your film projects and. Uh, the music and stuff. You reckon this is your worst idea? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely up there. <laughs> I remember being so, I was leaving because I was doing my first trip and I was leaving to keep going on my trip around. I wasn't, I just was so underprepared and I just rocked up. We got dropped off at the top at Cape Naturalist, I think. And my bag had three small children and it. it was so heavy. It was the, and I, I walked about a K and I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. This is ridiculous. Why am I walking where I just, but yeah, it was hilarious. It was, um, once you start going on a trip like that, it's such a cool thing to do. And we turned our phones off and um, it's pretty, it's a pretty tripped out feeling to actually be like, all right, we've got to walk another 20 Ks with 80 kilos of shit and why are we even doing this? But I feel like once you got into like the third day, it felt so cool on like a spirit sense. Like you were just, you know, up early because you had a shit sleep and you just walk all day, maybe have a surf, keep walking, watch the sunset, no phones. And you just felt like you were doing something sick, but it was so not that sick. Like it was just like... <laughs> nah. But it, but it was so cool in that way. Where the, idea is, the idea is mm. genius. Mm. Like surfing trekking you know living this completely hermit crab existence but just the execution of fucking what you got to carry <laughs> so I go, did you try the pack on before you started walking? <laughs> i just ran the thing with baked beans and and have all my camera gear this should be sweet <laughs> this should be oh, right. what the fuck oh and these shoes i just bought from kmart they're fucking killing me. <laughs> My feet, what are these? Fucking blisters. Uh, those washed up blunnies didn't even last. But yeah, and like Torrin had like a fishing rod and like a pot to cook in his surfboard and like just hear him jangling down the road like a <laughs> fucking Mad Max character. But that was, yeah, pretty cool. Definitely, um, definitely memorable. Some of those trips are just like really memorable. The the funnier and stupider they are, they're the most memorable in a way. <laughs> oh, so good. And so what now? What's uh, what's the next little chapter look like? Yeah, I don't know. Just um, just see what happens. What What's the date here? The end of December. So just wait. 
See what happens on the new year. I'm actually going to Hawaii for the first time with Smivy to my right. <laughs> He's going to show me the ropes of the how-to on a string. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to be on the fucking... Uh. On the shoestring budget, that's a guarantee. Getting obliterated at guns. <laughs> Mate, I'm a master of it. I'm a master of the art. Might be my great contribution to art, how to fucking really skimp by like Mr. Free and not pay for anything and then have a mint crib in front of waves. <laughs> that's the dream. That is the dream. Keep the shoestring shoe alive. <laughs> but I've got to contribute. Always got to contribute. So you contribute through entertainment. And uh, a bit of fucking motivation to get up and rip in your fucking. <laughs> On ya. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing next. I definitely want to release some more music. Maybe, I don't know, do another film. Just see what happens really. Just sort of enjoying um, just that sort of process with the last album and seeing where that takes me. And who knows? Keep surfing, that's for sure. Definitely want to surf a few spots around the world before I get too washed up. Um, maybe do a film about that. But, yeah, I realised that it's not all about just making heaps of coin off what you do as an artist, right? You know what I mean? Like, people think that's the dream and shit. It's kind of like finding a balance of just, like, a couple of days labouring here, do a little project, try and milk surfing as much as you can without fucking pissing off your partner or... Just looking like the most selfish bastard ever. <laughs> it's sort of that. It's a well-rounded life that um, makes you feel the most fulfilled. So that's that's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute poetry. Thanks, man. Hooroo. Up the swellings. To take us out today, a track from Colby's 2020 debut album, Brandon Street. This is Eyes on the Ceiling. <laughs>
Bye.